0: Everybody. Hello to all my partners in crime, so great to have you with me again today. Now today's case I want to get straight into this because this is the Summer Murders. Um, a lot of people have asked this case and it is a really interesting case, it's a terrible sad case, a sad case but it's very very interesting. Um, now this was um, the 4th of August in 2002 and it was a UK case again, um, it's from Cambridgeshire and it's called the Summer Murders because Soham is a small village within um, Cambridgeshire area and um, Hollywells and Jessica Chapman, that's where they lived and that's also where the murders were committed of these two ten year old girls. So we're looking at this case I suppose and this case is one that really I think shocked Britain to its core really. Every, everyone in it, I think even around the world people were shocked by this murder. So anyway, let's get on. So around about 11.45 on Sunday the 4th of August 2002. Jessica Chapman wanted to go round to Hollywell's house. Now Jessica only lived I think she lived in um, Brook Street, it wasn't very far at all just around the corner from Hollywell's house and she lived in the nearby, um, it's called Red um, House Gardens. So it was a short little distance, these girls were both ten. Um, now. Jessica hadn't seen Holly but she, because she had been on holiday she had been in Mallorca uh, in Spain for a holiday and she had brought um, Holly back a lovely little necklace um, with the initial H on it for her and she was so excited to give this necklace to Holly um, something that she had brought her back from Spain you know because they were such good friends. So off she went, so about you know 11.45 times she's left her home, she's gone to Holly's um, for a barbecue that was being put on by Holly's parents. And they just had a great day and they was heard singing upstairs and playing around and, you know, um, having a great time because they were great friends. Now also present at this time was another young girl and her name was um, Nicola... Oh, Natalie, sorry, Pryor. Uh, and they played computer games, they were just singing along in the bedrooms. You know, you could hear the laughter coming out of these kids' rooms. And um, they were up there for about an hour and a half, but then the little friend, little um, Nasty had to go home. So it just left then, Holly and Jessica, and they were still playing around and they'd had a bit of a barbecue and had done everything else. By 3.15, both girls had changed. So. They changed into these distinctive replicas of Manchester United football team. You know the uh, football shirts, they're red and with the numbers on, because they loved them. They absolutely loved Manchester United um, football um, club. They just loved it. And um, I think one of them was the top of um, Holly's brother. So Jessica put that one on. So they both looked the same. You know, you have one sort of young girl this 10 year old girl holly with this blonde hair and then you had jessica and she had like um nice brown soft brown hair and they were just happy lovely kids and of course jessica was tanned anyway because she'd just come back from Mallorca. so they just got into these red shirts and they started playing around but about 504 um they had this photograph taken they'd had you know Two friends and the family had taken photos um, of the children um, as they ate dinner, and just as they stood up, and you can see the photo of them, and that was the photo, last photo of them, taken while they were alive, and that was at three. No, that was at 5:04 p.m. on Sunday, the fourth, 2002, 5:04. And they know it's 5:04 because, of course. It's a, pictures, The cam- you know the camera, timed and dated it. So these girls didn't have very long to live at all. So we know at, f- at five minutes or four minutes past five on that day they had all their photos took with everybody else in this barbecue with people all around and everyone was chatting and having photographs, and this great photographs and a great day they was having. And then they went up to their, um, Holly's bedroom and continued to play. And that they, play, they went up there about ten past six, um, that's the last time that someone saw them going upstairs and they could hear them upstairs, it was about ten past six in the evening. And then around about approximately 6.15, for some reason, and no one really knows why, the girls left the residence, they left the house, they left Holly's house. Um, they didn't inform anyone in the house, they didn't inform any guests, they did they probably thought their mum was busy and stuff and were just gonna pop down the shop or whatever they thought they was going to do. Um and but they was going to the local sports centre, they wanted they think that's what they was going for. So they had some change and they wanted to go to the fending machine that was there. And so that was at six fifteen PM on Sunday the fourth, two thousand and two. That's when they left the home. Six fifteen. So while they were returning to Holly's house at uh, this red house gardens, Wells and Chapman walked past this college close home, and this was the home of Ian Huntley, and he was a senior caretaker. He was a senior caretaker of the local secondary school there. Huntley, we don't know how or, or what happened really because he's never really said has he but Huntley really eventually lured these children these girls into this house um, stating that Maxine his girlfriend Maxine Carl the girls teaching assistant at this St Andrews primary school was also present in the house this is what he's saying because we don't actually know this is he and Ian Huntley telling you this I wouldn't believe a word that Ian Huntley says, but this is what he says happened and how he got these girls into this house, by saying that their teacher or their teaching assistant was in the house. Um, But Carl actually wasn't. She wasn't there. Maxine Carl wasn't there. I think she was in Grimsby in Lincolnshire um, on that day, and she was visiting her mother there. So for some reason, we don't know how he got them in the home, but they went in. So as I say, no one knows. Uh, Huntley could come up with many different versions, but his, his thing was um, he was washing his dog outside and he saw two girls yes. passing by. And he says that one of the girls, and this was at 6.30pm, don't forget they hadn't left their house until 6.15pm, so we're talking about 15 minutes now, that he has seen them and he says that one of them, I think it was Jessica, had had a nosebleed and he had also told them that the girls, you know, Maxine Carl was in the house and the girls you know, thought I suppose it was okay to go in he was the caretaker of the school, they knew him, they knew his girlfriend or so they fall so as i've said they've now gone into this home we can only imagine what's gone on in that home we don't know because this man's not going to say anything ever about what went on in the home as we go through this case you will see with Ian Huntley that he is a sexual predator he's well known for it. There's been many, many issues leading up to this case and I think as we go through you'll see certain things about this case of what we would probably assume happened to these girls. Little Jessica's phone, this 10-year-old girl who had last been seen really go into the room at 10 past 6. I know she left the house by quarter past 6. It is now 6.46pm. And Jessica Chapman's phone was turned off, so he says he saw them at six thirty when he was washing his dog, cleaning the dog outside. And he tells you, and you'll see it. I'll put the clip on, and you'll see him explaining in quite some detail about how he was washing the dog, and the dog done this and this, very precise in what he did. Yeah, too precise, really. But have a look at the clip and see what you think. How
1: do we know they were here at 6.15? Well, we have an eyewitness. Ian Huntley here is a familiar figure. Evening in. You're the school caretaker. The girls, Jessica and Holly, would know you and they saw you on the front doorstep. What, what went on? Well, the girl, I don't know the girls. Um, I was on the front doorstep grooming my dog down. She'd run away and come back a bit of a mess. Um, they just came across and asked how Miss Carr was, as she used to teach them at St Andrews. Um, I just said she was not very good, as she hadn't got the job. And they just said, please tell her that we're very sorry. And uh, off the walked in the direction of the, um, the library over there.
0: So after that, then, we know at 8 o'clock, by 8 pm, Nicola Wells entered her daughter's bedroom expecting these kids to be there to tell her the truth, because no one had heard them go out. They probably just thought they was popping down to the sports hall to get a can of drink or something out of the machine or sweets out the machine. And these girls never made it home. So it's now 8 o'clock. The mother's walked in the bedroom. They are not there. Holly or Jessica are nowhere to be seen. This woman knew something was wrong. She really did. She knew something was wrong. Because the girls would not have done that. Holly would not have done that. She may have popped out because there was a lot of people in the house, and they were in and out, in and out, and she probably thought, I'm just going to pop sending down the road. We're just going to pop down the road. She's with a friend, isn't she? She's with her best friend. They're both 10-year-old. They're pottering along the streets. Who would think that they would never come back? She, So she knew something. At 8 o'clock at night, none of these girls could be found. They've looked the streets. They've looked everywhere. And, of course, they've then run, um, you know, all the other families and anyone anybody that could have seen these girls now everyone's looking for these girls and there's not a single sign of them and I think um, Sharon Chapman was devastated, again she knew as well and she continued to look and I think it was about 9.55pm that they rung the police because you're talking about a small village type thing in southern everybody knows each other there isn't many places they could have gone there and i don't think anyone expected this i really don't i think this is what was such a shock about it i think the girls probably thought they'd wandered off or there was either at one house or another or another friend's house but once all they'd been checked once everywhere had been checked and they couldn't find these girls then it was really really worrying and i think the police knew that from the first phone call actually at 9:55 p.m. on the fourth, they knew that this was not going to end well. Listen, the police put 400 officers onto this. 400 officers were assigned to this case. It was one of the biggest searches I think ever. Really, they because they just needed to find them. Um, they done house to house as they normally would, and I think they done the whole place and the surrounding villages um they searched you know i think there's a lot of um waterways and stuff in cambridge as well so they searched all that they ser- they searched everywhere they could possibly think of searching now there's a united states um air force base there and the personnel's there you know um at this near nearby air base. really even they even assisted everybody assisted here with this search For these children so i said haven't i about the photograph that was taken of these two young girls within two hours of really them going missing that was their last photo ever taken of them girls when they were alive and it's terrible really but that was a photograph that was being circulated because it was the most up-to-date photo that the families had of their children plus they were wearing the shirts the Manchester United shirts, these bright red shirts. This it was so you know distinguishable. You could have seen these kids walking down the street. You would have known it was them. So that photo is what was used, and it was used countrywide. I think even worldwide. In the end, in search for these children. So you've had all this. You've had um everyone searching all the press out there, and the press were really good in this, without a doubt. Without the press, really, this may have took longer than, than, it, than it would have so they've done an absolutely fantastic job in this I think everyone that worked on this case did a fantastic job really they, they were on it from, from day one but you see and you had I think what made them so concerned about Holly and Jessica is because these children were well known not to talk to strangers they knew it they'd had classes in their school The school was well warned. These kids were together. You know, it wasn't like one was taken and and one wasn't. These kids were together. So really they knew by the attitude of these kids, of how sort of experienced they was in this don't talk to strangers, don't get in someone's car, don't you know they knew they understood them dangers. So then it had to be someone. They knew. Because the police really believe that the parents and the teachers have said these children would not get in someone's car. They wouldn't go off with a stranger for any reason. And really they didn't, did they? But listen, the police still have to do their job. They have to question every sex offender in that area. Or in a radius, really. And there are many, many of them. On that list, and many of them probably not on that list. I think there was about over 260 registered sex offenders um, across the UK, including 15 high-risk paedophiles that were also questioned throughout. And really, they were all eliminated from the inquiry. One, there wasn't in the area and, and stuff. But you know, there's a lot of people to have to question before you get to the point where you know, because it has to be done. You can assume these kids know everything about you know safety and stuff. But you know, if a man's going to pick you up and take you, they're going to pick you up and take you. And who said it was one? It could have been two or three men. So the police had to do this. And it's a very worrying time for the parents of any missing child. You know, it's, it's they, it must be awful. And it must be awful to learn that they are having now to question these sort of people under this disappearance. But we know, don't we, really? when these kids have been going long for so, so long and there's there's two of them, they're ten year old you know, it, it it must have been absolutely terrible for these poor families, really so as in everything from 2000 onwards or 2002, 2005 CCTV was really coming into play in the UK I mean it's everywhere now but in 2002, Soham did have some CCTV footage which was amazing really it was really really good and it was actually really helpful because it showed the girls um, it's their last footage of the girls um, before they disappeared and that was also released to the public this footage was that the children arriving at the local sports hall where they said they was going to go this little sports centre to go to the little machine and get the drink or sweets out of it and that was at 6.28pm so we knew you know they knew that these girls were alive at 6:28 pm and uh it's it's really sad really because he only lives two minutes from there there was thousands and thousands i think over two thousand um phone calls in relation to this you know people trying to help people think they may have seen something people just tried to help but of course there was nothing really, that, that was it, that CCTV footage, that was it really of them girls. Um, I think on the 7th of August um, they had a candlelight vigil just to also keep you know things going and, and, and hopefully jog someone's memory. They had two girls that were dressed up as Holly and Jessica and they'd done a reconstruction of um, where they went and what they would have looked like on the day. So they've tried everything, they've tried everything. And then you have this ian hunter you see and maxine carl and i've already told you and showed you the interview with him but now you have to look at the interview of her to see just how bad these people are she's just um, terrible these people are looking for their child you've got the whole country up in arms really you know heartbroken. i think you've got searches public searching, everyone searching, everyone doing something. And you've got here, Ian Huntley, knowing what he'd done to these children. And really, you had Maxine Carr, and I'm gonna say it because it's gonna come out later on this video, knowing what he did to them children.
1: Nobody believes that they would ever run away. Um, there was very close to all their family. Just as Huntley was arousing suspicion by giving
0: interviews, so was his girlfriend.
1: This is something I'll probably keep for the rest of my life, I think. Um, it's what Holly gave me on the last day of term. She gave me this with a poem on the inside, saying um, to a special teaching assistant, really, and we'll, we'll miss her a lot and we'll see her in the future. And that's the kind of girl she was. She was just lovely, really lovely.
0: That's the sort of girl she was. Both my producers said, that was odd, wasn't it? She seemed to be speaking in the past tense. She was saying was like, the girls weren't around anymore.
1: And that's the kind of girl she was, was, was,
0: was, was. So there was a little bit of a uh, scare, I think, for the parents. And that was, I think, on the 13th of August, 2002. A jogger had seen a mound of dirt. Um, and that was um, close to just outside Newmarket. And, um, Of course you're looking for bodies aren't you you're looking for either missing children you're looking for bodies so of course the police had to go and they were digging up and um it ended up being a badger set um and so again the the families had nothing They, they didn't they still couldn't find these children they still didn't know what happened to these children they'd gone through all this thinking these bodies were buried there and you can imagine the build up that in themselves that they would have to have come to terms with that to find out there was nothing really there. it's a badger set. And then the, the, the pain and the anguish for these parents then continue on. Then you have Ian Huntley, you see. He's there and he's searching. He's got the stickers up in the window. He's doing press interviews. He's talking to the press. He's talking to anyone, really, that would listen. He's going in to the local church and helping arrange with the search. You see, because he wants to be in the know doesn't he he wants to know what the police know and he was uh you know one individual i think that from early on was suspicious because of his behaviour um and he claims that he was he was he had spoken with the girls and immediately before their disappearance on and he was a 28 year old actually in Huntley at the time of these murders um and he informed actually i think the investigators on the fifth Of august that he had engaged in a brief conversation with both girls on his doorstep the previous afternoon so he had said that he had spoken to these girls and then he says you know i was probably you know one of the last people to see them alive and if you really look closely on his interview stuff and i put a little clip up here of it you see the smirk on his face and he had a glint, you can see
1: it, in his eye. Well, the girl, I don't know the girls, um, I stood on the front doorstep grooming my dog down, she'd run away and come back a bit of a mess, um, they just came across and asked how Miss Carr was as she used to teach them at St Andrews, um, I just said she weren't very good as she hadn't got the job and they just said please tell her that we're very sorry and uh, off they walked in the direction of the um, the library over there.
0: This is a man that really thinks he's got away with it he really does. But I think the press, you know, because he was everywhere, this man, he wanted you to know everything. I was the last one to see them live. And that when, you, when you're trying to explain to someone what you've done the night before, when someone's gone missing, you don't use as much detail as he used. He used, really, know the dog was dirty the dog went for a run then the dog came back then the dog was this and then the dog had to wash the dog then they saw them and then they went that way it was too much it was too memorized it was it was no way was he thought you'd think hang on a minute where was i what time was it but he knew the times he knew everything and um they knew because these press that do these sort of you know, um, reporters that, that report on crime have seen it all. And I, they know, really, they know when something is suspicious. And they reported him, actually, to the police quite quickly. But I think the police already had their suspicions because he would go up to the police and ask them questions. Found anything yet? Have found any evidence yet? Is there anything? He, he couldn't help himself. He, he was just walking around as proud as punch that he's part of this search and yet he'd killed them you know and then he says about maxine Carr, you know the girls were inquiring you know they wanted to know if she had got her job or not her job no she hadn't got the job luckily but she wouldn't have had it after that anyway but um she had um i think she was working to training to be a teaching assistant she was also there I think voluntary I'm not sure if she was paid for this job to get experience then there was a full time paid position coming up in the same school that he was the janitor of really Um, and no she didn't get that um, job and then he says uh, he um, he had to say no she was unsuccessful and one of the girls said uh tell her we're so sorry this is what it's saying to them tell them we're so sorry you know before both the children walked up, off up college street in the direction of the bridge leading to um towards clay street which is sort of up near more the village i mean it was so descriptive this man but it gets the bits in oh they were so you know tell her we're sorry you know that she didn't get the job i mean you're talking about two ten year old kids really this was all made up in this man's mind of this conversation he had had he probably had had that conversation that's probably how he got them into that house something in there was the truth but with ian huntley you just would never know what was the truth or not really and actually the same with maxine Carr. so listen everyone was suspicious of Ian Huntley right from the beginning, but there's a difference between being suspicious and having proof of that he's done something. So I think on the fifth, after he spoke to them, stating that you know he was probably one of the last to see them alive, you know, is he like I was probably one of the last to see them alive? Oh my God, this man! They searched his house; they couldn't find any evidence in in the house at all. Um, I think it was just a quick search. Um, but then we find out that what he's done is he has washed all the sheets he's washed everything even though this man never does a bit of housework in his life she has to do it all and Maxine Cardiff had to have done it all when she was away when she got back all the sheets were washed this is what she's saying he'd washed all the sheets he'd washed everything bathroom cleaned everything cleaned everything and you know well he never usually does it but I just thought he had another woman in because that's what he does that's what she said so also because it was i mean it was raining out i mean in england most of the time even in august it rains but you yeah, had a lot of washing out on the line huntley you know this washing he'd done uh, lots of it you know the sheets this, this and the other out on the washing line even though it had been raining for a couple of days so they knew something was suspicious there one because of all this washing usually if it rains in England we bring it and chuck it in the tumble dryer you wouldn't leave it out for days that he had left he'd done this washing it was raining when he would have put that washing out because they asked him what day you know when did you do I've done it just hung it out why would you hang it out in the rain it it, it, nothing what this man said added up at all and um so as I said, we don't know what happened to these children, we just, we really don't. But we know something happened to them in the bathroom and in the bedroom. And then in the dining room, I think when the police officers asked him, you know, what's happened in the dining room, it was so wet and he said, oh, excuse the mess, we've had a flood. He literally flooded his house, <laughs> the downstairs of his house. It was that wet with water, he said he'd had a flood trying to get rid of incriminating evidence but it made him look more suspicious really that's really all it did was make him look very very suspicious so on the 6th of August Huntley drives from Soham to Grimsby to pick up Maxine Carl from her mother's because remember she wasn't there was she that night, that day she was at the mother's so this is now the 6th of um august he goes and picks her up from there shortly before he got to the end of this lane he, he they pulled up and it was one of um maxine car's mothers friends that seen it and they'd opened the boot and the two of them were talking over this car boot being open they were looking inside and talking over it and he looked very very distressed actually really he was very pal this woman says i think her name was uh, marion clift she states he was very pal he was uh, shaking uh they just both looked into the boot and then um maxine carl just stood alongside him and when they noticed and it looked like The woman said that she was crying or weeping but when they noticed this woman looking they pulled themselves together and slammed the boot got in the car and drove off so i think what we've got to think about because later on in this maxine carl comes into this a little bit later on i think it's at the at that point i believe that he told maxine carl what he'd done when they stood looked in that boot of that car he had told her what he had done without a doubt this was only two days after the murder why would she be weeping looking into the car why would he be shaking and pow when looking into a car you know into the boot of this car i believe maxine Carr knew then a lot more about this murder than what she ever let on even when she went to court and it's when the things after that have come out after call about her that makes her so much more guilty than she ever was or ever uh, what people actually thought she was. So out all this time, and I think it was um, a Sky correspondent, uh, Jeremy Thompson, that kept interviewing lots and lots of people around that time and he's the one actually, uh, you've seen him in a clip or both clips where he was um, talking to Maxine Carr and also to Ian Huntley at that point. Now Ian Huntley kept saying, "Oh, you know they're you know they're going to be found. I'm sure you know it'd be a couple of weeks and they will be coming home and and stuff." This the man was absolutely mad. And then you had Maxine Carr sort of saying, and you'll see her clip in a minute about you know holding the card up about what they wrote her. But it's what she says in that interview and that people really sparks their interest. So now we've only got one suspect. We've now got two. Because once she continues, you know, you had enough with him doing interviews and it was everywhere. Now she started. And I think he felt more positive about not getting cold. Because, of course, he had his woman backing him, didn't he? He had Maxine Carr backing him all the way. She's now doing interviews. Oh, you know, these children, they loved me. You know, they were upset because I was leaving. They wrote me a beautiful card. You know, you know. That-
1: saying um to a special teaching assistant really and we'll, we'll miss her a lot and we'll see her in the future and that's the kind of girl she was she was just lovely
0: now the thing is with ian huntley he's probably not as intelligent as he likes to think he is because he continued to ask the police about dna not go and look it up like most people would he wanted to know how's the investigation going how long does DNA last how long can it last outside how you know all these sorts of things How does it work you know you've got two young girls missing two ten-year-old girls missing you're the caretaker of a school your girlfriend was the well, she wasn't a teacher she was a teaching assistant in this school who knew these children really well but all you're worried about is DNA that was all those worried about how does this DNA work how long does it last? How did you get rid of it? it? You know, things like that, really, really strange questions. And by this stage, the police just needed some form of evidence, probably the bodies, at some point, to arrest these people. Because they actually knew, but I think it just took them a while to... to you can't just arrest someone because you suspect because they're stupid like this, or they're asking stupid questions and, you know, um, acting strangely have to have evidence so they were really searching now and had been probably from about the 5th of August actually searching for evidence with Huntley and Maxine Carr they were they were the two in their mindset you see because Huntley not only was he behaving like this and he said he was the last one to see the girls alive and then the wording that Maxine Carr used in her interviews all this was leading up he had three scratches, you see, on his face. I think there's about three centimetres long, these three scratches across his face. And he said the dog did it. So there was a lot of stuff leading up towards Huntley, really. But then you see it all starts to come unwound, doesn't it? Because Maxine Carl lied. Ian Huntley lied about a lot of things. You remember he said the we came to see in Maxine Carr um, you know, to see how she got on with her job and he said to the Maxine Carr's inside but she's in the bath and stuff. Um and as he kept them talking on you know, she was bathing, trying to all the police that Maxine Carr was in that property on the fourth of August two thousand and two. She was in the bath and then she says she heard the children outside talking to Huntley so they're trying now to make this alibi together aren't they because they actually believe that they can get away with it even though she had gone to visit her mother on that weekend she wasn't there i don't know why they didn't think the police would check them sort of things but obviously they didn't think they would but they did so then you see you have now enough now to arrest someone don't you when you found out that they are lying they have no alibi you've just admitted before you were the last person or probably the last person to see these children alive but she was in the bath wasn't she well she's not in the bath anymore now we know she wasn't there so why would you lie and why would she and that's when they were arrested so this questioning lasted about seven hours this first questioning um, and then each of them had to provide in writing, you see, formal statements, witness statements, didn't they? Because now the police want it in writing, because if you're going to lie, you're going to have to put it in writing. Once you put it in writing, you can't say you didn't say it. So they wanted wanted this. Um, and then they had to place them, you see, in a safe house, because now the word's gone out, hasn't it? The word's gone out that two people are being questioned in relation to the murders of the two young girls, two ten-year-old girls. And so, um, I think it was in Histon, they um, placed them in protective custody there in a safe house there to stop any public getting hold of them. So really Huntley's life and her life was just about to change.